0: Hello and welcome to The Flock's Given. My name is Alyssa. And hey, my name is Josh. And today we have a really interesting and really exciting story. Today we are talking about pigeons. Uh, so I'm excited to see what kind of lens you're going to talk to us about these pigeons. I'm going to actually just toss this right over to you, Josh.
1: Yeah, I'm very excited about this. I've been a fan of pigeons for for quite a while. They're kind of the um, kind of the underdog bird. And uh, you see them everywhere. You don't really give them much thought. A lot of people uh, view them as pests, and, uh, but they're, they're important. And they have a uh, pretty, pretty unique history. Among, among the birds, they're probably the most common one to be kind of woven into the human experience. Uh, we've, we've had a long relationship with them. The, um, you know, the goes as far back as the 3000 BC, when they uh, very first started to be domesticated. And during the uh, beginning days, um, you know, they were largely kept as food. Uh, People would eat them much like they would a chicken or a grouse. And uh, they also found their um, dung to be useful. You could use it as fertilizer. You could use it uh, with tanning leather. So they've had a lot of of use for humans.
0: You know, it's interesting, as you were talking about that, going back, because there was something I had read um, talking about back in the uh, temples and the tombs in Egypt and that there was all these different depictions of pigeons that were basically coming out of the, like and when the temples and the tombs were being excavated and um, that they revealed like a, a large number of clay bowls, uh, you know, some like decorated with, with pigeons. Um, and interestingly enough that I, what I had read that the bowls are thought to have been used for sacrificial worship or have some other religious significance. So I think it's interesting when you talk about, uh, you know, the the some of the historical piece of that, uh, whether it be talking about keeping them for food. But you would the the symbolism there would almost mean that the, the pigeons meant probably a lot more than just food. But that's just my opinion, just from that just that one fact alone.
1: Oh sure that's cool. I didn't know about that. did they sacrifice the pigeons and the bowls? I
0: don't know that that's <laughs> so that would be uh disgusting um but <laughs> carry carry on i it just reminded me of the thing that I read so carry on
1: sure sure the uh the one of the earliest uh cases of uh documenting or documented pigeons would be uh of Noah in the ark uh they used a uh or Noah after the forty days of rain he um sent off a a raven first to try and find land and the raven couldn't um he just kept flying in the air and and were sticking next to the ship but then the uh, pigeon is the one that actually flew found an olive branch and then brought it back to noah indicating that there was dry land to be found so it does have a a very very interwoven presence uh, with a lot of religions and um a lot of people think uh, think about doves. You know, doves, doves and pigeons are very close. Uh, there's essentially no separation between the two. Uh, so we have a lot of animals now, or not a lot of animals. We have animals now that we call doves, like the morning doves, uh, or the white dove that people throw out in their weddings. You know, they have fly off in the air. Uh, these are, are pretty much just pigeons. You know, and I, I think there's 12 species overall that um that are occurring in the wild uh that's not including the uh many many subspecies they have among uh the uh, pigeon fanciers in the uh, racing community where they might breed you know like a a larger bird or a, a larger tail let's say a larger crest but uh as far as in the wild there's there's really just 12 recognized species
0: oh okay so the idea of um A pigeon and a dove—can I think of them as cousins?
1: Yeah, cousins and and largely interchangeable. Um, You know, you do have specific breeds, like let's say uh, the mourning dove, but the uh, you know the passenger pigeon is one that's uh, a species that no longer ceases to exist. The closest relative to the passenger pigeon that's still alive today is the morning dove. Huh. So they're really just, it's kind of an interchangeable term. You have specific specific species, if you will, but there's really no difference between a, a dove and a pigeon. Usually what we think of today when we see pigeons, like if you were to you know, lock down New York or Baltimore, uh, usually what we see um, are, are rock doves. Uh, these rock doves have been... Um, interbred with uh pigeons that have released or not released but have escaped from different uh lofts that uh pigeon keepers have kept so there has been some uh co-breeding between domesticated pigeons and wild pigeons but uh, a lot of what we see is known as uh, a rock dove now again i think there's like 12 overall species between uh the canada and the canada In the U.S., uh, but um, rock doves consist the uh, or make up the largest part of that number. Oh,
0: interesting! So, when you are walking down the street, you can say hello to your friendly rock dove. Most likely, interesting.
1: Yep, yep. They also played a huge role when uh, Charles Darwin was trying to uh, put forth the uh, theory of evolution um the animals on the galapagos get a lot of credit you know a lot of the limelight uh they're they're exotic they're beautiful uh but it was actually uh pigeons that he uh, was able to base a lot of the theory off of and uh the reason that was is because uh, the pigeon fanciers or uh racing pigeons um have for years interbred different uh, different birds to try and get uh certain features that they were looking for you know I think we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier uh let's say you're looking for a bird that um has like a, an s shape or uh, has uh, the ability to, to really home in and uh do long distance uh bracing um you know these different birds require different things and they they would just breed it accordingly looking for the uh the best traits and and two given birds so Charles Darwin spent a long, long time actually hanging out with these, um, with these uh, pigeon racers, and uh, studying uh, the different variations that would occur.
0: Now, when you say pigeon fancier, is this? Are you saying basically a pigeon breeder?
1: Yeah, someone who uh, would keep his own uh, pigeon loft. So he would keep anywhere from let's say you know four birds to a hundred birds, depending on uh, the, the side of his shop and, um, usually, and this, this is something that people have been doing for centuries. Uh, usually what they're doing, um, like nowadays they would use it either for, um, pigeon races or you can have, uh, you have pigeon show competitions, much like the, uh, West, West Minter dog <laughs> show, uh, where people, uh, go around actually comparing these birds and, um,
0: you know the winner gets a uh gets a blue ribbon oh, i would love i would love to go to a pigeon show i'm going to be googling that when we're done here to figure out where my nearest pigeon show is um that's that's interesting that's amazing
1: yeah i know here in wisconsin we have uh ones in uh, madison in milwaukee i know and uh hopefully there's going to be a, a future episode dedicated solely uh solely to racing pigeons um in pigeon clubs also wanted to do one on uh the uh, passenger pigeons and uh Martha, the, the last passenger pigeon so hopefully that comes down the line but uh so we won't touch a, a lot on those two items today but um you know hopefully in the future we'll uh, come back to that
0: the, apparently there's a whole world of pigeons out there that i had no idea about so well let's let's dig into it more what, what else can you tell me
1: sure sure Um, A lot of uh, how they have come to uh, interact with humans um, is what's called a synanthropy. Uh, This is a term that uh, animals uh, who prefer to live in or near the areas that humans have built up uh, because they have benefits, whether they be food sources or whether they be housing. Um, You see this a lot now too with uh, coyotes, uh, especially in the U.S., Coyotes have kind of moved in to the uh, areas that, that humans occupy and usually it's because they have great food sources um, You know, and usually they they have shelters of some sort So uh, pigeons have done this too. It's uh, not unique to uh, to coyotes. Uh, this is something that pigeons have absolutely done and uh, a lot of it goes back to uh, where where pigeons originally occupied um, so originally they're, they're invasive anywhere but the Middle East. Their original range was uh, just in the Middle East itself. And what they would do is they would uh, largely stay on cliff sides and in mountain areas where they could uh, have basically a, a post overlooking, uh, like overlooking the cliff side, let's say. And that would uh, help shelter them from their, their um, main predators, you know, hawks, falcons, things of that nature. Um, and this is something that, uh, pigeons find in, uh, many cities, uh, today. You know, if you think a lot of your skyscrapers, uh, will have nooks and crannies that they can get into, uh, you know, maybe chimneys, let's say. Oh, they're
0: using that, that same kind of, uh, structure to, to house themselves or keep themselves safe.
1: Yep. It offers them protection. It offers them a way to look out and, uh, you know, maybe see where possible food sources are. And then two with just uh, with just food sources uh, they as, a, as an animal eat grains largely grains and seeds and uh, where human goes uh, you always have um, you know historically you always had uh, agriculture going with it so if they could find maybe you know let's let's just pick a city Philadelphia, let's say. And then maybe 50 miles outside of Philadelphia back in the seven, or 1700s, 1800s, there'd be plenty of farm fields that they could go get their grain from as well. So they'd have the the structure, the shelter, the, uh, some place to hide from hawks, and then they'd also have a uh, food source that they could uh, get to. Nowadays, that's changed a little bit. Um, you know, maybe it might be a little more... Uh, garbage related uh people throwing away their bagels or bread or whatever um but this has uh, allowed uh pigeons to really intermingle with humans fairly well and then do it successfully so there's been some uh, interesting studies with this as well uh, that have um kind of uh, spotlighted some of the uh some of the ways that uh, pigeons live in these cities um as i'm sure you know most people have uh, think when they think of pigeons, they think of uh, kind of a, a pest or you hear the uh, words uh, rat with rings uh, kind of thrown around. Um, uh, seagulls and pigeons seem to be, you know, two of the most vile birds that we that we have in our, our shared space or common surroundings. And um, so this is something that's been, been widely studied. Uh, the uh, there was a study in switzerland as uh, switzerland was big on trying to uh kind of curtail the uh, populations of pigeons and uh what they what they found was um you know cutting back on litter uh, obviously did wonders uh but they found uh what they had dubbed uh pigeon mothers uh to be big contributors to the increase of of pigeon populations uh, and you got to think that this is a bird um, whose primary functions are to uh, eat, sleep, and uh, reproduce. Uh, when you have a uh, situation where your your shelter is uh, easy to find, your food sources are uh, are big, uh, then that leaves a of time for reproducing, which is something they do naturally uh, very well. But then to add to this, uh, with with these pigeon mud- mothers. Usually these are people that, um, are, are really just kind of fanatical about feeding these, these birds. And, you know, there's kind of a, there isn't a one size fits all for people who, who become pigeon mothers, but usually it's, it's people who are lonely for whatever reason, you know, maybe, maybe kind of friend a little bit older, uh, maybe some psychological issues that, um, you know kind of contribute to that loneliness and something they truly enjoy is uh feeding feeding the birds um all day every day and I think of the uh the lady in home alone two, i think it was in new york and it's uh it, it's something that really contributes to an an increase in these populations uh so there's were a lot of uh social social efforts put forth to kind of steer people away from doing this uh, and usually it, it just didn't really help. These people were, were adamant about feeding the pigeons, thinking they did no harm. Uh, but in towns with uh, or towns and cities that had an influx of these the, these pigeon mothers, uh, it was found that uh, pigeon populations even increased all the more.
0: I mean that makes sense. It's, it's interesting and, and absolutely makes sense. why people would ban doing that. On the very other end of it, though, I, I think that when you talk about there being kind of social reasons or people being lonely and different things like that. And, and you know, they, they take solace. They find the pigeons to be kind of their friends and, you know, it, it fills their time. So it is kind of sad to think that they would be. You know, banned from doing so. Um, but that it does, you know, if that is truly affecting the population, of course it makes sense. And you do have to make the decision to kind of curtail that. But um, interestingly, when you brought, when you were sort of talking about pigeon mothers, that you brought up the pigeon lady uh, from Home Alone, because that's exactly what I was thinking about. Uh, and uh, now, and, and that was the story with her, right? That was, I think, I think that was the story with her that she was just a lonely woman. I I believe that's what it was, but...
1: Yeah, I think so. And it's a very... It can be a very muddied subject because when you think about it, it, you can go to any, you know, any Walmart, Target. uh, You can even go to uh, Birds Unlimited and you can buy bird seed. You can buy bird feeders. Um... And feed chickadees without uh, without any problem. Nobody cares if you feed a robin or if you feed AI a chickadee, a sparrow, whatever. Uh, but these, it's it specifically pigeons that, that people get concerned about. And it, you know, obviously feeding animals can be a bad thing. You know, if you think about a national park, nobody nobody is saying go feed the bears. You know, that, that bear can tear you apart and eat your shit. But... Um, you know, when it, when it comes to, to pigeons, it's just, it can get a little little muddier, especially when you have a lot of birds that it's, you know, feeding them is kind of encouraged almost. Well, and one thing I see in my notes that I kind of missed and I wanted to come back to, um, the, in the, um, when when France was going through its revolution in the late 1700s, um, it's, it, you know, been a story as old as time of the haves and the have-nots, uh, a lot of uh, French uh, peasants or uh, landowners had, um, you know, were in charge of keeping these, uh, these pigeon lofts uh, for their their landlords. And, you know, when it was getting really bad in France, um, you know, these peasants didn't have anything to eat. Uh, there was actually a, a little bit of an uproar or an uprising where uh, a lot of these peasants started burning down the uh, lofts of, their, uh, of the uh, landlords. So that kind of would have been exciting to see. Poor birds. Yeah, well, that's that's what I think.
0: Oh, man. like, Well, the birds didn't do anything. You didn't get them involved with this.
1: Casualties of war, as they say, I guess. Yikes. So I didn't want to go into a huge amount of uh, time on their homing abilities because that is something I wanted uh, to kind of save for later when we do uh, an episode on uh, racing pigeons. But uh, the idea of... um, or the understanding of, of the homing abilities has really just kind of been a recent um, recent study or a recent realization. We've known that they could uh, that, that pigeons specifically could home um, for a long time, you know. And there's people using it uh, even back in the um, the original Olympics. They would sometimes use pigeons to uh, bring race results to a few towns over. Let's say to kind of spread news uh they've also been used in in times of war um you know pliny the elder talked about uh about messenger pigeons being used uh, in a siege uh and that goes back to um around uh 74 uh ce so the understanding of uh pigeon's homing abilities is, is something that's been been new kind of new newly studied uh we've humans have understood that uh it exists and they've capitalized on that going back a, a long time, centuries. But uh, really what makes the homing work, um, that is a new study, something that uh, has not, e- even today, uh, we still don't really fully understand it. Uh, and this kind of goes through with migration as well. Uh, we're getting a better grasp on it, uh, especially on migration. But, um, you know, it, it's still a relatively new new field that we're trying to understand. A lot of uh, scientists think it's kind of a, a toolkit that they use, uh, that the pigeons use. Um, that uh, there is, uh, they, they have very good eyesight, even if it's not good eyesight at night. Um, but also, they have the ability to use uh, magnets or magnetic fields, and uh, use that as an as an aid in their navigation.
0: Is that like um, like like bats? Do they kind of like a similar? I guess. They- I know bats use what echolocation. Is that the same thing? Do we know? I think the echolocation is slightly different. Uh,
1: the echolocation is kind of like a radar where they send a uh, send a ping off, and that ping, the, the time it takes to get to hit a surface and then come back to you, kind of serves like a radar, so you can then gauge right. how close you are to a sur- or a, a surface. Um, you know, similar to like a blind person using the little uh, the stick to tappity-tap as it goes down the street. Right. Um, whereas I think the magnetic field, and, and again, I don't think it's it's fully understood, at least in not what I was able to find. Um, the magnetic field, they it, it might be something that's felt in the bird, but they also, to, to bring it back to the eyes, uh, birds are able to see... Um, on on the scale a lot of things that we can't so it's kind of um, theorized maybe or, or hypothesized i should say that uh, there's something visually uh with birds that they can actually see magnetism in in their vision so it's it's really not something that's fully understood and it's also a little bit of a question as to how much uh, the magnetism impacts their ability because they do have other skills as well Uh, You know, with memorization being a huge thing, um, pigeons, you know, they're kind of dumb birds as far as birds go. Um, But uh, one thing they have found with pigeons is that they have uh, just tremendous abilities to memorize information, or I should say information, but memorize what they see along paths. So that factors in, um, you know, the, the eyesight uh they also believe that uh, pigeons will follow things it's familiar with like if it sees roads you know going north south east west they'll kind of go along the course of of roads they'll do the same thing with power lines or railroad tracks um so there's kind of a a mixed mixed tool bag that they use uh for navigation and homing themselves another way they uh they've been able to teach pigeons is what they'll usually do is they'll start out uh, like let's say a a fancier has a, a new bird that it's gonna gonna teach a home uh, what it'll do is it'll start out by bringing the bird maybe let's say a half mile away from where its loft is and then letting it you know letting the loose find its way back home and then you go to a mile then maybe five miles so on and so forth and uh, what's interesting too is that uh usually the what the bird is looking for is just uh, a food source uh, a food source a shelter where it feels comfortable um you know so a lot of these people would uh, keep their birds uh, slightly hungry so that way it knew to return to the food so and that's that's just kind of the way that humans have have kind of pulled that those homing abilities and uh you know put it to, to use for their own purposes um but this is something that, that pigeons have been using in, in the wild as well for for probably as long as they've as long as they've existed. So because of this ability, uh, they have also been able to use uh, or humans have also been able to use uh, you know pigeons for all sorts of things. Um, the uh, pigeon racing and uh, pigeon um, homing has been uh, something that's been popular for hundreds of years. Uh, but uh, humans of course have also found uh, the ability to use uh, use it for war as well uh, and I think it's not war directly but they've been able to use uh, birds for espionage and uh, getting getting messages across enemy lines as well so it would they were they've been using a lot of wars but uh recently or most recently they've been used in both world wars as well during uh, world war one uh what the english would do is they would uh, use these hydrogen balloons uh that would um lift uh basically a, a box that would carry four pigeons up uh each of the pigeon having its own basket and basically they would send this hydrogen balloon over the canal into belgium uh, where then a, a timer or, or a fuse would go off and basically dropping the, you know, each, each pigeon, each of the four pigeons had its own box. Uh, once the fuse or timer went off, the birds would then parachute down into, the, uh, into whatever fields or whatever that they were over. And uh, what they would do is they would have basically a note uh, in a canister that would be on the, on the pigeon's leg and then that way, whoever opened it could uh, basically write a message and then send that pigeon back back home using the homing abilities. Uh, so this was something that was common during World War One, and um, you know during this time, the, the Germans knew that this was happening, and it was such a uh, concern uh the, the information getting back to England from Belgium that any German troop that was uh, that shot a bird would get uh, two weeks of uh, two weeks reprieve. Um, So and when you're at war, you know, I would imagine something like that. It's huge.
0: Yeah, that's also, I wonder how long it took them to discover that the pigeons were coming in with messages. That's, um, it's incredibly smart. And and, and what an incredible way to communicate um, that would probably not be detected or, like, interfered with. Um, but I wonder how long it took them and, and what it was, what the, the story is when they actually discovered that that communication was happening. Was it that the pigeon came down and talked to the, well, and, and landed and, and interacted with the wrong person? Or I wonder what that story is all about. I'm going to look into that.
1: Yeah, and we'll get uh, into that a little bit too, with how that occurred in World War Two. but it, and, and I don't have the details so much on World War One. but I'm guessing they were kind of doing it too. Um... You know, and, and two, if, if let's say you see this uh, balloon uh, with a bunch of pigeons fall out out of the sky into a field somewhere, you might go check it out just because that's uh, you're a weird absolutely side. going
0: to check that uh, out.
1: So that I mean that could account for some of it too. Um, so the, this was used during World War II as well, very similarly. Um, you know, but it, but in World War II um, planes were were used a whole lot more. Um, so they would basically just uh, take these pigeons, um, you know, they would fly on whatever raid or uh, reconnaissance mission, and they would uh, bring these uh, little boxes of pigeons inside of them. And you can find pictures of this online. It's basically just a little box with a parachute on it and a little little circle where the pigeon can stick its head out. And then they would uh, drop these out of the planes into strategic spots, you know, hoping that um you know hoping that whoever found it might be just your your normal joe farmer let's say in in belgium because belgium was occupied by germany for for a few years there so this uh, a lot of this was you know with the english canal you know it was easy to use these pigeons to go back and forth from belgium into england and vice versa so during world war ii they were just kind of pushing out of these planes and um so it would have a uh, a little parachute would fly down with a little bag of food and then uh the soldier would or i'm sorry not the soldier the farmer whoever found it would be able to, to open it up and um you know see what was being requested there'd be a note saying hey we're looking for train depots whatever and then hopefully the person would you know write their notes and, and send the pigeon back and this was causing such a um such a problem for the germans uh again in world war Two that um they tried a few things to kind of to kind of stop this they would uh have uh hawks and falcons that they would uh, train to kill the birds um and then they would also shoot the birds on sight too um and and uh basically they also would try to uh use use pigeons that that they had uh and had uh situated and got comfortable with belgium uh to try and fly over into england and then back into uh into belgium and there wasn't a whole lot of information i could find on the the german side of it uh but it it was something that they had uh that that they were engaging with as well uh to the point that england on their side of the canal they basically had the the same thing with this falcon task force it was our uh, see here it was the uh, the falcon deconstruction unit and um, it was basically a guy who was uh, skilled in falconry who would uh, who had uh, two or three birds that he would go uh, to the channel and try and, and any pigeon that he would see he would try and kind of just stick his falcon on it and uh they did this for a while but the problem was uh all the birds that they're all the pigeons that this falcon was killing were all british birds so it, it didn't kill any of the enemy soldier birds it just killed um, you know on uh, accidentally uh, i just killed uh, the, the the english english birds or english spies uh english spy birds. so um yeah there was no no real success with that um but uh, there was uh, there is actually a very good book on this subject uh, called Operation Columba uh, that's all about a, um, a rabbi, uh, or no, I'm sorry, not a rabbi, I think he was just a uh, Catholic priest um, who, uh, who was a Belgium native during the occupation of Belgium by, by Germany, who uh, basically got these these beautiful maps and all sorts of information um that he had he had gotten knowing that these pigeons were were kind of going back and forth uh so he was hoping to get that information back to britain um because too at the time he, he couldn't really rely on radio too much uh because radio could broadcast to a, a wide array there was w- really no way of uh ensuring people that ensuring only the people you wanted to hear the message uh, would hear it and not the people you don't want to hear it so that's that's kind of what made it all so important during this time as well it wasn't really like you could just send a text message you know it's it's we kind of get spoiled when we think of uh, the technology we have now which which simply just did not occur at this time so when and lastly here just kind of wanted to talk about the about disease with the birds a lot of people uh view view pigeons as having you know being filthy and having having a lot of disease kind of associated with them and it's kind of easy to make that assumption when you look at what they eat you know how they spend their days uh, but um, there's really there, there are um, you know it's not like it doesn't exist there are cases where you know, there are cases where disease has spread from pigeons into the uh into the human population
0: well of course though like ever, like like a lot of different animals that's occurred with
1: right right Uh, i have you know rather recently instances with swine flu uh mad cow disease you know those are all things that uh you know nobody's nobody's saying let's kill all the cows well but they (laughs) (laughs) they want something from it um you know whereas pigeons you know like uh, we we used to eat them historically but uh you know nobody the nobody sees a uh, benefit of of pigeons like they like they would with let's say pigs or or cattle um you know a lot of times they're just a little little harder on the pigeons than they would be with with the other animals that they do benefit from so, you know it's kind of sad there's been large drives uh, to keep them out of our cities. Um, you know, keep keep them out of our our eyesight essentially. and it's uh it's kind of sad, but that's that's kind of just the way the way of man. that's how we how we roll, I guess.
0: It is kind of sad when you think about it. And I know, you know, I guess um, maybe I have a different perspective when it comes to this, but you know when, you're in a a city and there's often no nature to be found there's no you know all these there's no you're not near a forest you're not near all you know all this wildlife the idea that there are these these birds these pigeons that are hanging around the city i know all these people they call them like you said rats with wings but I like the idea that you just get that little bit of, of nature, that little bit of wild, right there in the city. I, I I enjoy that myself. But I guess that might be just a matter of uh, perspective or opinion.
1: Yeah, for sure. And one of the other books I read, Super Dove, um, about this, what brought up that exact point for a lot of people. Um, you know, especially for a lot of people, you're exactly right. There, this is going to be the only nature they they see. Um, but then too, when you think about um, about people who are, are younger growing up in these cities, um, the younger you're exposed to nature, the, the more likely you are to really appreciate those things. They're part of your youth, they're part of growing up, you're familiar with these things. Um, you, you know, you're not you're not sending these kids off to see elk like you might in, in you know, let's say Wyoming. But uh, one thing they can see and appreciate are things like pigeons so yeah that's very very much a thing where it can be important for you know for kind of promoting promoting nature and then what we want to see and also kind of lastly with this and uh kind of somewhat connected with that um yeah i think it's great um mike tyson is uh widely known to uh love love pigeons and uh if any of you guys have the time looking uh, look up some videos on YouTube of Mike Tyson talking about his pigeons. Uh, not only is he a very, uh, very, you know, kind of great character, um, a legendary boxer, but just kind of a, a great character as well. Uh, but talk, him talking about his love for pigeons is uh, almost sweet, you would It is say. sweet. <laughs> you, you look
0: at him and you, you know, everybody knows all these different stories about Mike Tyson in the ring and all of this different stuff. And then you see Mike Tyson talking about his pigeons, and it is genuine love for the pigeons. You see him in a different way that uh, I found, yeah, very, very heartwarming.
1: Yeah, the guy's a monster. It's like seeing this this monster of a person just like standing there with this teddy bear almost. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's neat. But anyways, that's that's it. I think for this week. Um, so you know, again, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If uh, if you can. Uh, Like, subscribe. We're uh, we're on Spotify now as well, and uh, also on Instagram with uh, the Flocks Given, and uh, we also have a uh, PO box. Um, You know, if uh, you have any any fanfare or comments or whatever you'd like to say, uh, the PO box is PO box number one four five in Lena, Wisconsin. That's L E N A. uh, Zip code five four one three nine.
0: All right. Well, thank you for joining us for uh, Pigeon Talk today, and uh, we will see you next time.